Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcast a Bible study every Wednesday night for those who cannot be with us in the Omaha area, but also for those who are listening all across the country and literally around the world through the means uh, through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful to be able to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's word on such a widespread basis, and we're thankful that you're there and that you want to learn. We know that people want to be in God's word, but a whole lot of people, especially in other areas, cannot necessarily be with us in person. But through this amazing technology of the internet and through podcasts, we can be together and open up God's word and study and learn more and grow spiritually thereby. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We encourage you to we encourage you to go to our website, tell everybody about these studies. You can share them with people through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means, but also tell them and take advantage yourself to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button, and sign up for our podcasting. Now, it's all free. It always will be free. We keep emphasizing we're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. And so when you sign up for our podcasting, you'll automatically receive Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and you'll receive a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a seven-day-a-week short Bible class, only about 13 or 14 minutes usually. We call that today's Bible class, and that's every day, seven days a week. All of that's free. It'll go automatically to your smart device whether that's your phone, your computer, or pad, or whatever you choose. And so take advantage of that and tell people to, to do so as well. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and visit with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evening, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening. And on Wednesday evenings, 6.30 each Wednesday evening, we gather back together for midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of these services, and we hope you will come soon if you're in the Omaha area. If you're in other parts of the country and around the world, we're so thankful you're there and that we can still study together through this medium. We're going to get back into our study from the gospel account according to John. And as we've indicated and emphasized repeatedly, uh, this particular gospel account stands, you know, kind of alone, or maybe we should say, I guess, distinct, not alone, but distinct from the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called synoptic gospels. They're very parallel in, in the material that they cover. And in the days of Jesus's life and ministry upon this earth that they focus upon, John kind of stands alone from its emphasis in that, or again, again, unique, and maybe would be a better word, uh, distinct from the others in that it, it does not go back to the physical birth of Jesus, and it does not cover all of the same days during his ministry upon this earth. It, it takes a, a, a different focus than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But when you put the four gospel accounts together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the bigger picture, the fuller picture of Jesus's life upon this earth and his ministry. 
And all of them come to the point of the cross and talk about that. Uh, John, again, just focuses on, on different different specifics in some cases than does Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, we're far along in this particular study from the gospel account according to John. And we finished last time, we looked at and we finished chapter 10. And this is the chapter that focuses upon Jesus being the good shepherd. From a spiritual perspective, those who follow him faithfully, who become Christians, ultimately are referred to as the sheep within his fold or within his flock. And that's not a denigrating kind of imagery. It's really, it, it's really a, a close and, and personal kind of imagery in the relationship that we have with our Lord and Savior. His being the chief shepherd and we being the sheep within his flock that he holds close, that he watches over, that he takes care of, that he protects and heals from a spiritual perspective, but also that God heals from a physical perspective. Now we're going to pick up with chapter 11. And this is really an important chapter because it brings into focus a particular individual and a particular miracle related to that individual that Jesus's enemies, the Jewish leadership, would use to to really try to shut him down. And, and it's rather amazing. So we begin with verse one of chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And, and the town of Mary and her sister Martha is referring back to Bethany, the city or town in which Lazarus lived. And so Lazarus, this man, and he is a faithful, dedicated follower of Jesus, as are his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is sick. It's interesting as we read the next several verses how this unfolds, and we see again the, the uh, supernatural knowledge of Jesus as God the Son. Verse 2 says, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, John is actually, when he's writing this particular account, this particular section of his gospel account, he's referring to something that he then covers in the next chapter. And we look at verse 12 and verse 3, and here we see that Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, this would appear to be the Mary that John refers to then in chapter 11 and verse 2, but he's referring here, now again, he's writing this account many, many years after the events, and so he's writing this in something of a chronological order in chapter 11, following chapter 10, but then he, in chapters 9 and 10, but he's referring to this particular Mary, he's, he's identifying her as the one who washed Jesus' feet, okay, who anointed his feet with oil, rather. All right, now, um, in verse 3, it goes on and says, therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, this would indicate a very close and a very personal relationship that Jesus had with this brother and his two sisters. 
Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They, they observe their brother being sick and probably getting sicker and sicker. And so they, they send word to Jesus because they know, they believe in him so deeply and so profoundly that they know that he has the power to heal their brother of his Ill, from his illness. And so they send to him. The, two, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so Jesus, again, had a very close personal loving relationship with these siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. In verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, a lot of people would ask some questions here. They would start to wonder and speculate, did God cause Lazarus to fall ill? Now, when Jesus says this sickness is not unto death, Lazarus is going to die physically before Jesus comes to take care of his situation. But he's going to raise him from the dead. And so this would be one of this would be a mighty miracle that cannot be denied because of the situation as it unfolds that we'll read in, in a, just in the next several verses. But does this mean that God caused Lazarus to fall ill with this particular illness and this particular occasion period of time? No, not necessarily at all. But God knows what's going to happen. And he can use those situations, those realities, to get messages across and to his glory. And certainly he could use the illness and the physical death of Lazarus to glorify his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And through what Jesus would do, by God's direction, I believe we're, we're always to understand, to demonstrate in a powerful and vivid way that Jesus truly is God the Son, our Lord and Savior. Now, this was crucial at that particular time because he had many enemies, and the Jewish leadership in, in, in particular, almost across the board, denied him as being the Savior, the Messiah come to earth. And so this would be a powerful, powerful proof that he really was and still is whom he said he was and is, the Son of God, the Messiah come to earth, the Savior of mankind. Well, so Jesus gets the word, and he says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus, and so there was love on the part of Jesus for all of these siblings. And nothing, nothing sinister should be read into, uh, into, Mary, uh, into Mary's statement that, or, or, or Mary and Martha's statement that they're referring to their brother whom Jesus loved. He loved all three of them. And it was a, a normal kind of closeness in their relationship through which that love developed. But of course, remember that God loves all mankind, going back to John 3.16 and Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
and there is no indication of any distinction between the three siblings as to the degree and focus of Jesus' love for them. He loved them all, and he loves all mankind. Again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now Again, some people might scratch their head and say, he found out Lazarus was sick? And, and apparently it was very serious because Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, sent word to him. And so maybe reading in between the lines, they let him know, Lord, he, he's really in bad shape. Please come. But he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the, to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? And so they were counseling their master, Lord, you're going to go to Judea again? You know, the, the, the enemies are there. The enemies are there. The Jews sought to stone you, to, to kill you. You want to go there again? Jesus answered in verse 9, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, we might, obviously, he's not talking. He's simply using a physical illustration to get across a spiritual lesson again. He needed to go there. Those Jews in Judea, they needed to know about him. Those leaders within the Jewish community. They needed to come to see the light of the truth of his teachings, having come from God and teaching what God sent him to teach, the gospel message of salvation through him. And so verse 11, these things he said, and after that he said to them, that is to his disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that, he, that I may wake him up. And this particular word sleep is used repeatedly in the scriptures to refer, in some cases, to literally being asleep, as Jesus was asleep in the stern of the ship when the storm arose and the apostles were concerned the ship, you know, the ship or the boat was going to sink, and they woke him up, and he stood up and came forth and told the storm or told all the elements, peace, be still, and there was a great calm. You can read about that in Mark chapter 4. But also it refers to a number of times the word sleep as somebody who has physically died. So Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Jesus knew he was talking about Lazarus died. I'm going to raise him from the dead, restore his life. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. They're thinking again physically. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. How many times, I wonder, did Jesus maybe find, you know, a degree of frustration as he was trying to teach 
especially the apostles, those who walked with him so much during his ministry, trying to teach them profound spiritual lessons, using physical illustrations to get the point across, but they only heard the physical and did not did not get the spiritual application. <laughs> but he kept teaching them, and ultimately they came to understand. And so they, they do not understand that Jesus is talking about Lazarus is dead physically when he says he sleeps. And they thought he was, he was resting, and they thought he would get better. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And so Jesus, you know, again, he sees this opportunity, and I believe, again, God is guiding this situation. Not that he made Lazarus get so ill to the point of death, but, but that God could use this real situation to, again, demonstrate the truthfulness of Jesus' identity as his son and our Lord and Savior. Verse 16, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Again, they're thinking, the apostles are thinking, you're going into a jeopardous situation, environment. These people want to kill you, some of them at least. And Thomas says, okay, if he's going to go, he's our master. We've been walking with him. Let's go, that we may die with him. In verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. That is, Lazarus, he's already been in the tomb four days. He's dead. He's been dead for four days. Now, notice how the text unfolds here. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, Martha is exhibiting great faith in Jesus. She says openly, if you had been here, he would, he would still be alive. But even now, she says, I know. And how does she put it there? Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And I believe we're to understand here that she's still holding out hope that Jesus had the power to raise her brother from the dead. She had that much faith in Jesus. And indeed, he does have that power. And he exhibited that power during his ministry upon this earth a number of times. Jesus said to her, and how this must have, have immediately raised emotions within Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, he's been in the, he's been in the tomb for four days. This, there's no subterfuge going on. There's no trickery. There's no, uh, no, no possibility that, well, he just, he was so sick that they just could not, you know, feel any breath coming from his mouth anymore. 
Now, he's, he's been dead for four days, four days. So verse 24, Martha said to him, and, and here's her faith again, just being exhibited verbally, but, but openly. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, she's, she's so, so completely, you know, believing in all of the message of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through Jesus as our Lord and Savior. She knows about the resurrection. He's been teaching about the resurrection. And so when Jesus says he will rise again, she immediately goes to the eternal resurrection. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so she's certainly exhibiting great faith, but also deep knowledge of the gospel message that Jesus has brought to mankind. But maybe she's also indicating in that, uh, Lord, tell me a little bit more. <laughs> Specify a little more what you mean by he will rise again. I know he's going to rise in the resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, we can read, and I would encourage you to do so, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 what a marvelous, glorious chapter that is on the resurrection. Not just the resurrection of Jesus, but focuses more thoroughly upon the resurrection of the faithful, of the saved on that final day of judgment. Those faithful, dedicated Christians when the Lord comes again on that day. And so Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, physically, die, yes. Eternally, no. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What a great confession of faith on her part. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there, as we would go to a gravesite of a loved one who has just passed. In verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him and fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She exhibits the exact same faith that her sister just a short time before had exhibited in her words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And so this is, a, this is a period and a setting of deep mourning on the part of the sisters of Lazarus and friends, family, perhaps, 
who came to mourn with her and come uh, mourn with uh, Mary and Martha and comfort them at the, at their loss. Verse thirty four. He said, "Where have you laid him?" They said to him, "Lord, come and see." And the shortest verse in the entire New Testament. Verse 35, Jesus wept. We see, again, the personal nature of the relationship that we can have with God the Father and God the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not impersonal, it's personal. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And here, this relationship that Jesus had with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, physical human beings, but with souls, Jesus wept. His emotions overcame him. The tears flowed down his cheeks. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? They were exhibiting faith in Jesus as well. Then Jesus again groaning in himself, and again we see the deep emotions as we experience in our human existence. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. She was saying, Lord, you take away that stone. His body has been decaying. It's going to stink. And that's part of physical decay after a person dies. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Oh my, what a miracle. What a demonstration of Jesus's true identity as not just a man who came teaching some philosophy, but as the Son of God come to earth, the Savior of mankind. Loose him and let him go. Jesus, God, used this opportunity to prove that Jesus, his Son, truly is God the Son, truly is our Lord and Savior. Now, we're going to stop here. There's still quite a number of verses in this chapter, but the scene shifts. The focus shifts. And what should have been for everybody there and everybody who heard about it, 
from eyewitnesses to what happened. It should have caused people to believe in Jesus. But instead, his enemies, the disbelievers, especially within the Jewish leadership, it hardened their hearts against him all the more. And the devil used that hardening to motivate them to seek evermore how to kill their Lord and Savior, to deny his true identity. So we'll pick up with verse 45 next time. Let's pray. Father, over and over and over again, more times than we can even realize, you have proved that you are God and that Jesus is your Son, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for this, Father. Help us always to believe, but not just to believe on a surface level, but to have strong faith in you and in Jesus. But Father, there are so many within the world right now who do not believe. Please help them to come to see the truth and to put away their disbelief and to turn to you through Jesus in faith and obedience. Help us to be the messengers of this truth to people to whom we can be the messengers. Help us to help others believe, Father. And please bless these lessons to your glory. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.